0: The following is paid programming brought to you by WT Wealth Management. Nothing we discuss should be considered as investment advice. This conversation is for informational purposes only. Please do your own research and speak to an investment advisor or financial planner before making any investment decisions. Welcome to Intelligent Investing with Glenn Least. I'm your host, Jeff Orvitz. And this week, we're going to discuss interest rates in the Federal Reserve. Plus, we'll throw in tapering for good measure. And we're also going to get into debt. Should you pay off debt and be investing instead? And Glenn Least will talk about his strategies for investing. Now, Glenn Least is a senior investment advisor, and John Halner is chief investment officer with WT Wealth Management. And you can learn even more about Glenn and John by going to wtwealthmanagement.com. Or you can call Glenn Least at 928-225-2474. So we're hitting an inflationary cycle. Everybody sees the prices going up. And now those on Social Security are getting the largest increase in the past 40 years. But is anyone really getting anywhere? Because, yes, you have an increase in income. And I'll start off with you, Glenn. uh, But everything is is costing a lot more.
1: No, I think you hit it right in the head. And we saw that even with... um you know, the minimum wage increases we saw you know in cities that enacted higher minimum wage, you know the the people were earning more, yes, but then they had less buying power because the cost rose everywhere. So I think it's going to be a similar scenario with social security where yes, they had a cost of living increase. It was probably necessary, but does it have any extra buying power, especially if inflation is rising at five percent? I think it's really kind of just treading and staying above above water of just preserving buying power. so, my bigger concern with that is, um, you know, one one off, you know, a time where they raise it that high, I'm not too worried about, but is this going to be the trend moving forward because Social Security already has its own problems as it is. And yet, you know, if we continue to, you know, rise at this pace, or if we do, that could be very problematic down the road. And uh, it's probably going to be the working class that ends up fronting the bill for the, the higher cost of living adjustments because they're the ones still paying into Social Security. So it'd be interesting to see how it all plays out over time, but I would say that If they have the idea of continuing to raise the cost of living increases, like they, as much as they have been, or even just remotely close to that, you know, I think we're going to see higher social security taxes potentially.
0: You think that'll go up? So how do, how do people, let me ask you this, John, how how do people hedge? The inflation. Let's look at sixty-four million people that are, uh, you know, on Social Security, for example. But there's got to be millions of other people on fixed income, and it's fixed, so it doesn't really adjust as much or as quickly, maybe, to price increases. What do people do, especially if, if you're in the Social Security category? It means you're 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 older, so it's it's hard to get into some of these investments. Or is it what what do you do? I mean, how do you hedge this stuff? How do you keep up with inflation? uh, I guess? Yeah,
2: no, it's a a great question. I mean, we go through this all the time with our clients. I mean, these are real-world questions that we field every single day when we're sitting down with a client. And we really put it in in pretty simple terms. This is the argument that every retiree needs to have a significant amount of equity exposure within their portfolio. um, Because equities do a fantastic job of keeping pace with inflation. If you look at an investor today that let's say has a a diversified fixed income portfolio that maybe is fortunate enough to yield a 3% coupon out of that investment, they're actually losing money every single quarter. You know, if you really have 5% inflation and a 3% investment, you're, you have a net negative return of minus 2%. And then you haven't even factored in taxes, which is probably going to cost you another 1% and maybe the uh, investment management fee of the firm that you work with. So you could have an investment that yields 3 or 4%, but you really have an erosion of your buying power by maybe 3 or 4% on top of that. So you have to have a well-diversified, well-thought-out, balanced portfolio of equities and fixed income just to maintain your purchasing power. And that's the biggest hurdle that retirees see today, is probably being more conservative than they really should be um, and we understand the sensitivity that retirees have to account fluctuation, but in the same sense, you have eroding, uh, inflation simply eroding your purchasing power every single day right now.
0: It's not getting any easier. That's for sure. And I mean, I guess people are living a lot longer too. So there's, uh, there's always the concern, am I going to outlive my money or is, you know, am I, or is I, I going to run out, um, especially as people, uh, live longer and they want to maintain the quality of life and not be eating, I guess, uh, rice and beans going forward. It's, it's a tough thing. Um, yeah. Does this push more people into for exactly what John, you just said, push more people into the stock market maybe than traditionally have been. I don't, do you have those numbers? I mean, because, no. because they're trying to keep up with inflation or what's the deal there?
2: Absolutely. And it's just not keeping up with inflation. It's simply living off of the nest egg that they've acquired. I mean, you know, you you think of a client today that maybe has a million dollars in their investment account. And, you know, 10 years ago, you might have felt like you were wealthy. Mm -hmm. You know, a million dollars today, let's say even in a a conservative treasury portfolio, is going to yield less than $25,000 return. So there's far more people invested in the equity markets today, not because that they want to, but simply because they have to. They're looking for a reasonable six or seven percent distribution rate out of that million dollars to generate sixty or seventy thousand dollars a year in income, plus their social security. And there's simply no way to do that in the conservative fixed income markets. Even if you were to venture into things like convertible securities, preferred stocks, and high yields, those are still yielding sub five percent. So a very low interest rate environment with inflation is really the worst case scenario for a retiree, and they do need some equity exposure to hedge uh, the, the headwinds of inflation.
0: All right. We are talking with Glenn Leist and John Hallner of WT Wealth Management. You can get more info by going to WTWealthManagement.com. I want to switch gears to Fed tapering. We have talked about this in quite a, quite a bit in the past. Uh, I've got an article here from, C, again, CNBC. Fed says it could begin gradual tapering process by mid-November. John, you mentioned this um, recently on the program. I, I, I guess, well, let's back up. I think it's always good to kind of go back in history here. What's the Fed been doing the past 18 months as far as, I, I don't know, discuss what, what the asset purchases have been. What's the Fed been doing?
2: Yeah, to, to help the economy at the depths of the, the pandemic in March of 2020, the Fed institutes what they call their, uh, their bond buyback program, where they simply go into the marketplace every month and they've been buying $80 billion worth of treasuries and $40 billion worth of mortgage-backed securities for a total of $120 billion a month in, in bond buybacks. And those securities go on the Fed balance sheet. But what that does is it creates additional liquidity into the financial systems, and because they're usually buying it from institutions like J.P. Morgan, Goldman Sachs, so it creates additional liquidity so they can lend money and continue economic growth. As the Fed starts to taper those repurchases and it goes down to 110 billion a month, 90 billion a month, all the way down to zero, which they're forecasting 12 months out, there's simply less liquidity in the system and it slowly tightens economic conditions. And they do this because the, for two reasons. One, the economy no longer needs the help theoretically. And secondly, it can stem some of the inflation pressures that we're seeing. So that's the process the Fed will go through. And when they fully have tapered all of their bond buying, then they will eventually start to dress the Fed funds rate and slowly increase interest rates in more of an attempt to um, normalize the interest rate markets and to continue to uh, head off some uh, inflation headwinds.
0: So, Glenn, here's my question. As they start tapering, as John just said, and bring it down to 100 billion per month, 90, and then eventually the goal is zero within 12 months. Do you think they'll actually get there though? Will they, you know, get down from 120 to say 60 billion and then the economy sputters or something, or the stock market sputters or whatever? And then they say, oh my God, we can't keep doing this because look what's happening. And then they have to ratchet it back up. Do we ever get to zero? Yeah, you
1: actually bring a good point. There's, hey, what is best? practices for fiscal policy and then what is best practices and how do you maintain your political uh you know move uh, momentum right. and i think those two are going to intersect so you have a current administration that is is probably going to want to if there is any kind of headwinds that they're seeing negative you know economic output because of the fed tapering they may pressure the federal reserve to say hey i know that's what we're wanting to do but we're getting a lot of backlash from this and uh, we've got midterms coming up let's uh let's pause this for a little bit let's kind of wait and see so i think that's what they'll do is they'll kind of take it one step at a time and the Fed's supposed to be independent uh, and and not you know to either political party but i think that's something that they're gonna have to take into consideration is what does it do to the economy and if they do it too fast and too quick and it has a negative you know repercussion i think they'll put pause on it i, I think that's unfortunately what will happen Um, whether that's right or wrong, who's to say, but that's just kind of what I've seen happen before in the past is they want to, you know, they don't want to, uh, cut off the progress that we've made so far of the economy recovering. So I think they're going to be very patient with how they do that.
0: Yeah. And to your point, Glenn, I mean, both political parties, um, have put pressure on the fed as far as that independence to do certain things, um, and, and change course. And it, it seems to be politically geared. Especially as you get towards the election, so I guess that's that's not the new John. How much is on the books? I mean, they're on trying to unwind this thing, so they're they're tapering. But you said they bought 120 billion or so per month of of bonds from, I, I assume, corporate bonds and other bonds. Um, they have that on the books uh, on the Fed books now. Don't they have <laughs> yeah. to sell that and get rid of that eventually? And we're not even talking about that's after tapering, right?
2: Yeah, the, yeah, the Fed balance sheet has never been larger. It's six and a half trillion dollars currently. Um, you know, they did it through the 2008 to 2009 financial crisis as they also went through three series of, uh, of tapering, which was a quantitative easing process. And then they reenacted the bond buying in March of 2020, as we previously said. And those end up on the Fed balance sheet, which they can stay. They can sell those back into the marketplace. They can retire debt, so they have some options. Uh, to dovetail on what Glenn said, really, the Fed has no choice. If you think about the economy being a frying pan and, and sort of the inflation being the oil in it, there's only two things you can do to not have the economy overheat. You can either turn down the heat underneath your frying pan, or you can take the frying pan off the stovetop. And that's what they're really doing with the tapering. They have to taper. If they continue with a zero interest rate environment and they were still doing their bond buying, inflation is going to be a problem that you're just not equipped to deal with. So the first step is to eliminate the tapering process. And then the second step would be normalizing interest rates um, and trying to get the inflation rate back to two two to two and a half percent, which is the Fed target.
0: We're talking with Glenn Leist and John Halner of WT Wealth Management. Call Glenn Leist at 928-225-2474. There's no obligation. That's 928-225-2474. Or visit Glenn by going to wtwealthmanagement.com. All right, we're with Glenn Least and John Hollner. And remember, you can call WT Wealth Management at 928-225-2474. Uh, Glenn, let me ask you this question, and it has to do with debt, which we have a lot of here in America. We've got corporate debt, govern- government debts, personal debts. But on the personal side, should people be paying off debt or should they be investing?
1: Yeah, so that actually conversation comes up a lot with the, when I sit down with the younger uh, individual that maybe has just gotten out of college and they've got their first high or good paying job out of college. And they're trying to find this balance of how do I pay off that? How do I invest? Because if they wait to pay off their student loans to ever invest a dollar, that might be 15 or 20 years from now. And maybe they've given up on a tremendous amount of compounding interest by doing that. So to answer your question, how do you find the right balance? I think if you're, you know, because there's two different camps. One camp says, pay off all your debt and don't invest until you've got all your debt paid off. And then the other camp says, well, you know, if the interest is less than what you can you know, get on a return for investment, then you should, you know, invest the, the money and then take the proceeds and pay off the debt. I kind of am somewhere in the middle where if we're hitting both of our goals of paying off debt and investing simultaneously, I feel like that's a good balance. Um, but it's in a case by case scenario, if you're, you know, really underwater and paying twenty eight, twenty nine percent debt, uh percent interest on a credit card debt, you know, my probably immediate advice is gonna be get out from underneath that debt because it's gonna be very hard for you to ever make any progress. But if you're saying, hey, I've got this auto loan at three or four percent, you know, do I pay that off at the expense of never investing for the next five years? Well that one, you know, makes a little bit more sense. It's like, well, maybe we could, you know, hit both of those goals simultaneously. So to answer your question, I think we should always be trying to find a, a proper balance of, you know, paying off debt, but also investing, especially if, you know, we've got time to let our investments grow. We should be trying to get compound interest to work in our favor. Um, but it is something that is more and more conversation, uh, unfortunately, um, than it has been in the past. So it's, it's definitely something that, you know, when people do work with us, they do get the investment management um, services, but they also get financial planning and, you know, budget services. They get, you know, overall business, um, you know, recommendations that they're like as a small business owner, they say, Hey, I've got this new opportunity. Can you help me walk through making some decisions on it? Um, so people get quite a lot when they work with us. And that's just one area of just, you know, being an unbiased person that can look at their scenario and and make a recommendation for what's best for their goals.
0: Yeah. And let's get into that just a little bit more. Uh, and I want to remind you folks I'm talking with Glenn Leist and John Hallner of WT Wealth Management. You can give them a call at 928-225-2474. Uh, and also by going to wtwealthmanagement.com. And I think this is the part of the consultation and talking with, with folks like you, because it, it's, you're going to have a different – and let me ask you this, John. You're going to have a different scenario for different people as as they come through. Somebody may have a lot of college debt. Somebody may be older, some some point in between. Uh, and, and here's my question. Why is having an investment advisor worth the cost of the services? And, and is that part of it, looking at the individual situations?
2: Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, Fidelity does a study every few years and they have found out that the average investor working on their own almost always does the wrong thing at the wrong time. They get in very late into the bull market, and then when the correction happens, they're the first people to sell. And if you are continually buying high and selling low, it's very difficult to advance the ball up the hill. So we, we take that off the table, table immediately. We do a lot of education with our clients. We do a lot of hand-holding. We get them to understand that it's not, you know, a sprint for six or eight or 12 months. It's a marathon of, you know, 5, 10, 15 years. So one thing that I can ensure all people that are out there listening to us is that we are not going to do the wrong thing at the wrong time because we've lived through, you know, dozens and dozens of these events. And we have just learned over time to be patient. And sometimes the best decision you make is no decision at all. So that's one part of it. The second part of it is just some general counseling, as Glenn alluded to. People come to us with a variety of decisions about whether I should buy a car, whether I should lease a car, whether I should pay off my student loans, whether, you know, I should refinance my house. Whether, you know, do I need life insurance? Should I look at long-term care? Um, you know, do I have enough money to lend my children twenty thousand dollars to start a business? Um, probably 50% of the questions that we answer on a daily basis has nothing directly to do with the investment account that we're managing for our clients. It, it, it totals all the other things that they're thinking about. I've even had people call me and say, can I afford this vacation? You know, me and my wife want to go on a cruise through the Mediterranean. It's going to cost ten, 000, twelve thousand dollars 12000 Are we in a position where we can do this and not, deter our long-term goals. So we, we consult on everything. And I think that's what makes it unique is that we do it all under the auspice of one management fee. It encompasses everything for your financial well-being. And we just don't continue to bolt on additional costs well, once you become a client of W T
0: Wealth Management. And John, that cruise does sound nice right about now. I'll tell you that. Let me just ask you <laughs> one follow up here. Um, why not just go online? I, because you, you see the the you hear the stories of the big hits, the Robin Hood people and and, and folks like that who are doing these and the meme investors, those things. Why not just say, go, go on your own. Look, look I saw some, some guy online. He's now a millionaire because he did X. I don't think they follow up with the story three months later, though. What happened next?
2: <laughs> no, never. It goes back to what I said at the beginning is he help people not do the wrong thing at the wrong time. And somebody that even does Robin Hood and maybe that's a thousand on their first four or five trades with success comes comes bravery, and I've seen you know it's sort of like if you sit down at the casino at the roulette table and you're lucky enough to have four or five winners on in a row, you go, hey, this is easy. As soon as you think investing is easy, then you're you're almost finished at that point because it's never easy. Every day is different. It's something that our entire team of fourteen professionals dedicates fifty or sixty hours a week of their life to. And you have the entire brain trust behind you. It's, um, you know, even people that go out on their own and maybe have their first 10 trades all be home runs. I've seen them a year later be flat broke because they've just thrown all the fundamentals out the window. and, And it became just totally about emotion. And investing should never be about emotion. It should really be about discipline.
0: All right. We are talking with Glenn least and John Hollner. Give Glenn least a call at 928-225-2474. There's no obligation. That's 928-225-2474. Visit Glenn by going to WTWealthManagement.com. All right, Glenn, let's end with this. What is WT Wealth Management doing that's different than all the other investment groups in the area? <clears throat>
1: yeah, great, great question. So one of the things that does make us unique uh, aside from the a uh, full suite of uh, services we provide, such as financial planning, retirement projection, budgeting, overall, just you know, being a financial advocate in their in their corner. One of the things that we do that <clears throat> I don't think anyone else is doing in our area is we we have actively managed portfolios that we manage and um, approach in house. Meaning, everyone else that I'm aware of in our community outsources their investment decision making process, whereas we have our own internal team that does that, that constructs the portfolio, that does the research, that manages them. So if a client wants to call in and say, hey, why do we have this particular investment in my portfolio? We'll say, here's exactly why, and here's our research of why it's in there. Um, Whereas maybe other groups in town, they may or may not be doing it in house. They may be outsourcing it to a group outside of the community. So if you ask that same question, their response may be, well, don't know. It's what the um, fund manager is doing. It's what the portfolio manager is doing, and they're based out of Texas or L.A., and we really don't have access to talk to them about that decision, whereas we do it all in-house. And one of the other things that's unique is we're very uh, upfront with our, our pricing structure. Um, that is something I've seen in the industry um, at, at times where investors maybe don't understand the full cost of what they're paying. They may understand one side of the cost, meaning they pay their advisor a certain cost, but maybe they don't understand all, all the fund fees that they're paying for the mutual fund that they're in. So, you know, when we started our firm about eight years ago, we really wanted to be transparent in all that we do. We wanted to be fiduciaries and we wanted to manage all the portfolios in house. So I think those, just those three things alone, you know, really set us apart from, you know, some of the other groups here in the area um, and makes us unique in the investing space.
0: All right, gentlemen, as always, it's been fun and real informative, and we'll be back here again. We'll talk next week. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks. When you work with Glenn Least, his investment committee leverages over a century of combined experience to grow your money, not your fees. And they invest their personal savings the same exact way they invest your money. Call Glenn Least for a complimentary consultation at 928-225-2474. There's no obligation. Just call 928-225-2474. Or you can also go to wtwealthmanagement.com. Tune in next week at the same time for another edition of Intelligent Investing with Glenn Least on 97.1 The Big Talker. We'll see you soon.